Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sandler, joined, as always, by the Ron to my Harry. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. All right. And our very own Nearly Headless Nick. That's right. It's the ghost of Eric Ronnebeck. Ooh, The host? Spooky. Yeah, ghost. Ghost Dad's not here today. He is uh, snowed in. Well, he his work made him work from home, and then it was going to be too late to drive around in, in potential ice. Yeah, it's going to be a skating rink later yeah. on. So, so, so he's we, sitting this one out. So we were like, we could record maybe this weekend in like a really weird time, or we could just you know bottle episode, try to do it without Eric, and then save a bunch of uh, off season content for next week. So we're going to do we're, that. We're, we're shuffling on like the Donner Party. Here we go. Let's, after eating Eric, I don't know how this let's works. Let's talk about my least one of my least favorite games of the whole season. Let's talk about Seahawks at Green Bay Packers, twenty-three to twenty-eight. The game that encapsulated an entire season. Can I talk about the offense? Let's do offense first. You ready? I am offended, so let's do it. Okay, offense. I thought the offense in the second half was as good as we've seen it the whole season, and I thought the offense in the first half was as bad as we've seen it the, the, whole, <laughs> the whole season. Um, an yeah. incredibly frustrating overall performance. Russell Wilson in the first half goes six for 13. The offense has, goes one for five on third downs, creates only six first downs, nets 135 yards and comes away with three points. Just a, we had that run, run, run punt drive. That was my favorite one. Just a, a very, very frustrating, um, very, very, I don't know. There's so many adjectives I couldn't use. Pete Carroll proving again that you can lose a game in the first quarter. I just, it's just so annoying. And the, what, what single play made you the most angry in the first half? Cause I have one. The third run in the run, 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 punt scenario. For me, it Probably was. Probably the second run because I wanted to throw on. For me, it down, was but. a fourth and eight. Jason Myers, 50 yard <laughs> field goal is no good. Wide right. Because because it was like negative seventy. Yeah, it's like it's like a near zero degrees, and they're like bringing up all these stats. Like, man, nobody's made a fifty-yard field goal kicking this direction this year, and it's like, oh my god! And we're sending Myers out there. Like, yeah, he's automatic. He's so good. But this is like a hard situation for even the best <laughs> kicker in the league, and he's not Justin Tucker. He's Jason Myers still, you know, automatic, but not Justin Tucker. Uh, so that was rough because then we gave them great field position, and they were able to steal another seven points before the half. And I just. I don't know. That kind of thing drives me nuts because... Because it was kind of poor planning right? more than execution and even it, matters. And it, if you're going to be Pete Carroll, okay, you're Pete Carroll, you're going to, at the end of the game, you're going to punt the ball and trust your defense, then why get aggressive and kick a really difficult field goal right there? You know, yeah. Why not try and just hang one up and stick them on the three or whatever? Yeah, and if you if you trust your defense so much that you're willing to punt at the end of the game, give them the ball back and trust your defense to get you one more chance. Why not right there punt, pin them deep, and trust the defense to get you the ball back for another drive? Because that kicked field goal gave them missed field goal gave them great field position. Just do you think that was Pete trying to be aggressive and not really knowing how? Um, I think it was just he thought that Jason Myers could make a fifty yard field goal in that direction and. uh well, well, we have a uh, we have one example of that. And, he's not uh, great not on under fifty yards. Awesome, like I'm all for it. Over fifty yards, it needs to be good conditions. You can't over just, fifty yards. He's pretty average, which is fine. I mean, you shouldn't be kicking over fifty yards all the time anyway. Right, but you know know the limitations of your players though. Like understand that this guy is he is gone. What what is this uh, record this year on under fifty yard fields? Give me one second. Okay, I'm going to corpse for like three seconds by talking. And he had a couple of problems when he was kicking a few of them under 
right. uh, under 50 yards. I mean, he but it's it's at the exception to the rule more than anything else. Two of four on over 50-yard field goals this year. Last year, he went six of seven. Seven of twelve in twenty sixteen. O for three in twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's just he's not great at it. It's he's okay. He's a very average over fifty yard field goal kicker. And I mean, play to his strengths. And also play to your strengths. You have a really good punter. I don't know. That was and a, a good punt coverage team. I mean, we had that one where he hung it up and King couldn't get there in time. I I almost feel like whatever direction the, the punt's going, the, we should be uh, popping it up on Amadi's side because Amadi gets there in like. A second. And the thing that drives me nuts the most is that or if these, was still there. it just seems incongruous with the not going for it on third down or fourth down later in the game, right? It's like those decisions should be consistent across. Right. Like you're either trusting your defense or you're not. And I, I think at this point we should probably be thinking about not because after watching that team play defense the whole game, that was not a defense that felt trustworthy to me at least. But as bad as the know. as like, bad as the offense was in the first half, they were really good in the second half. Um, oh man, Lockett had himself a game. Nine catches on ten targets, 136 yards and a touchdown. Uh, eight first downs on nine receptions. Like that's just that's vintage Lockett. It looked like he was finally healthy for like the first time since what week eight or nine. Yeah, and he went. So in the first half, he had uh, three recept or sorry. Yeah, three receptions, and then the second half he had six. He really just like stepped it up huge. He was enormous down the stretch. Uh, DK had a decent game, four catches for fifty nine yards. Nothing to complain about there. Hollister five for forty seven, also good. That drop um, was the second worst drop of the game, but yeah. there's a big gap between the two drops. And Malik Turner zero for three, and then I think it just kind of showed the 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 need for this team to have one more option in the passing attack. Whether that's Will Disley coming back, whether that's uh, a new wide receiver we bring in or you know like we tried to bring in josh gordon so there was an attempt to bring in another passing one game weapon yeah but, if that was penny still around right but malik turner is the kind of guy that you want to come in for a few snaps a game and play special teams and be a part of the team but not a guy you want to trust to be your number three wide receiver yeah malik turner and david moore have proven themselves as quality four and five receivers but very questionable three receivers yeah um Okay, so first half's over. We're down 21-3. It's looking pretty grim. Russ Magic brings us back into the game. The defense actually kind of turns the corner a little bit. Starts playing pretty good. Uh, So this last drive. So fourth and 11. Okay. Russell Wilson takes the sack on third and five. Negative six yards. Fourth and 11. There's um, 241 on the clock, Kevin. Do you punt or do do uh, you go for it? With that much time left, I punt. You punt. I I support that decision because of the amount of clock left. I because uh, giving I it back know. to them with that field position, I feel like you're just giving them the score at that point. Yeah, and thirty. Because we also still had three timeouts or two. Three. We had yeah. all of them. Yeah. It's shockingly, I, Pete Carroll had three timeouts with with only two forty one left to go in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I feel like having all our timeouts plus the two minute warning, you're asking for the defense to get one stop on two um, sets of downs. And the defense to that point had been playing up in the second half. Yeah, I thought that there was... The defense had played a lot better in the second half. Maybe Pete's trying to ride that momentum, and it looked good. The Aaron Jones run for two yards. Then Aaron Rodgers throws incomplete, and that is, like, enormous. This is where we needed to get off the Free timeout, and now we're going to get the ball back and... Yeah, the, the Aaron Rodgers pass is just a, a kind of a common error. We have Ugo Amadi 
on Devontae Adams, not the matchup we want. <laughs> and then, then, uh, Lano Hill is, takes way too long to get over and help over the top when I think Ugo's trusting his top, his, uh, over the top, uh, help over there. Yeah. That. By playing, by playing, uh, kind of a, an inside leverage. And, uh, yeah, just gets, the whole play gets destroyed. And Devontae Adams is really good. That's a, that's a tough play to defend, but that help over the top needs to be a lot better. That, that's the biggest problem with that play. And if the help over the top could have just squeezed him a little further to the sideline, it would have given Amadi a much clearer path to get in the way of the ball. That's the thing. Like, it still might have ended up being a complete pass. Amadi's coverage wasn't perfect, but his coverage was adequate in a difficult coverage scenario. And, Hill, like, we need a guy who can protect over the top, can force Adams to kind of move on his route a little bit, or take, like, a sharper angle to the outside, something like that. Uh, yeah, so th- that's kind of our view of the game as a whole. Okay, specific offensive players. We already talked about Lockett. I thought Wilson had a really good game out after the first half. He really settled in, played really good in the second half, threw to multiple levels, uh, did all the Russell Wilson things you kind of expect him to do. Um, really had like a field day on the right side of the field. Um, the intermediate passes five for six, 77 yards and a touchdown. Perfect NFL rating in that, in that bracket. Really good under pressure too. Was able to get, um, over almost, uh, seven yards per attempt and got his touchdown under pressure. And embarrassed him on the blitz. Yeah. Like to, they figured out they had to stop blitzing him. The, the biggest problem he had, I think, was like there was a lot of pressures and I think several of them were directly on him. Uh, trying to do too much holding the ball for hero ball in the second half i agree like he was held responsible for four of his own pressures i think yeah and that feels about right they they were all in our backfield the whole game 25 pressures uh in not including even including the sacks yeah zadarius smith was just eating our lunch all day um he ended up coming with 11 pressures another thing they Uh, did too is clark dominated hunt who apparently was playing on one leg yeah they did a thing where they they i think they saw they saw joey hunt in the tape looked weakened or looked vulnerable and they did a lot of scheming to make his life difficult and it worked his life looked very difficult out there and yeah it's just that's what happens when you're down to to your like third string center right i'll say beefy boy haynes though yeah. came in and looked respectable uh, i would say better than respectable i thought especially in the past game like didn't didn't really get blown up a whole bunch didn't looked strong uh, fetty probably had one of his best games in the uniform and uh you know what that's a fitting send-off see you later hey have especially a great- if it gets us our third round pick back have a, have us a great life <laughs> i hope everyone just watches the tape from this game and ignores everything else completely because, because that, yeah, it looked fine. Um, uh, Brown looked a little sluggish today. Uh, like just he's the, hurt. the high, I, the high bar that I hold him to, based on his play, he wasn't able to play to it. And I understand, like he's coming off surgery. He came back early to be part of this game, and he like put it all out on the field. It's just to be, he clearly wasn't all the way there, and that sucked. To be honest, it's it was more like. Um, the issues we had blocking, I thought, had more to do with like tight ends and running backs blocking than, than uh, and and Hunt obviously, yeah, <laughs> than than uh, just straight up, like oh, it's a bad blocking or this is a this is a, a wide problem. I'm I would be fine if you know Luke Wilson blocking tight end is still a bad idea. Brown, Hollister was really bad too. Yeah. Um, Brown, I don't think anyone Haynes, expects Hollister to block anyone. Brown, Haynes, you know, Fluker can come back next year. And I think if we just turn over a Fetty and then the, the Eopati guard spot, I think that that's fine with me. Uh, or so we have, then we'll have Haynes and Fluker. Uh, center will be back. We'll either have Britt or we'll have, 
Posich, and I think both of those guys are perfectly viable options. Get a new right tackle. Um, sure, should I talk about my feelings about George Fant? Is this a good time? Uh, we can talk about it real quick. Sure, George Fant. Um, it was a great experiment. I think it's interesting, but unless we're bringing him back to be like a backup, I don't want to see him start many games in a for the Seahawks at this point. He's a, he's done a really good job with what we've asked him to do, but I think it has kind of hindered his development as a true tackle. And uh, as as a backup or as a as a guy who we bring in as the sixth lineman, he's great. So if that's an affordable option, I would be all about bringing him back. But I don't want to bring him back to just play right tackle. So that's kind of my feeling on both Fant and Fluker. If we can bring them back to where if they end up being our fifth and sixth uh, lineman, I feel good about that because they both can play both tackle and guard positions and we can carry two people to cover everything. Yeah, Fluker Fluker had an up and down year. He was all over the place. There were games where he looked awesome and games where he was a total dud. And I so And I think just relying on him to be healthy for an entire just, season I think he isn't just gets where he's at his career anymore. He's, he's gets dinged up too much. I mm-hmm. mean he's only twenty nine and you'd think that that wouldn't be a problem but But he feels like he's like thirty four. Yeah. It's just they, I think the lower body injuries have kinda added up for him. It's unfortunate because he's like a mountain and he looks really cool and uh, he seems really funny. Beef Boy Haynes, though. Yeah, Phil Haynes is, he's the future. Phil Haynes, large human. Yeah, he Professional moves, large human. He's going to hes gonna be a people mover and I'm very excited to see how his development continues next year. Well, um, I mean, just to walk, he's a person mover. So like he's got that part down. Now he's just got to bring somebody with him and everything I've seen says he can. All right. You ready for defense? Uh, yeah. Let's go I thought it was a very... The medium day from the Seahawks defense. There is one player I like to call out, though, as being an absolute star. Um, really brought their best, I think their best game of the whole season. That was Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner has apparently battled lower body injuries the whole season. And uh, I think that that has shown, especially in his coverage. But in this particular game, we asked a lot of him, and he delivered at every level. Especially in zone coverage. I felt like he was a zone monster today, or yesterday. He got a pressure, he got three run stops, and he he was covering all over the place. I wish it was him covering Jimmy Graham on that last play instead of Lano Hill, because I think, like I said, Bobby had a great game. I think him or KJ could have made a better play on that. And and so, um, yeah, maybe he gets a little healthy in the offseason and is able to... What I think this year he played at a Pro Bowl level, as opposed to an All-Pro level, although he did get the All-Pro nod. Um, I think a little bit based on reputation. But he got a little um, bit of the Keekly treatment on that, I think. Yeah. And then I think and Keekly got the Keekly treat no, Keekly was good this year. Then I think next year, I think he gets back to just what he was. I think the lower body injuries heal up and he's back to, you know, pro football focus rating over ninety, Bobby Wagner with the uh with the great coverage to go with the he still had great tackling, great pass rushing, great run defending. Just the the coverage was not what we kind of expected based on the last two years. I also think our lack of trust in our nickel corner situation. You know, we went from Justin Coleman, who I think Pete had a lot of trust in, to a series of question marks down towards the end of the year. We finally started, you know, Pete finally admitted that he thought Amadi could handle the load. And I think that makes a difference for the coverage potential of Bobby Wagner. We were asking him to do a lot of things that just weren't playing to the most strengths of his skill set. And coverage is where that showed up the most. We're asking him to cover a lot of ground, especially if he was dinged up. We're asking him to cover receivers, which is dumb and bad. And that's not something you should do. And so I think his coverage stats suffered for our 
poor defensive scheming for a lot of the season. All right, 17 snaps of nickel or 17 of the 63 snaps were in nickel or big nickel. So um, Ugomadi was on the field for 11 of those. Lano Hill was on the field for seven. I have a um, problem with were, seven of them. They, they were on the field together for, for one of those snaps. The Lano, Lano Hill thing, those snaps should all be Marquise Blair. That is a huge mistake. Yeah, that Blair is, was uh, a scratch, and I believe it was due to being dinged. Yeah. He was inactive, and that really hurt. I think that that's what, that kind of is a killer, because Lano Hill on pretty much seven snaps made a big mistake that got Ugo Amadi burned, and then made a another mistake that got Jimmy Graham a first down. You know, he just gave him kind of an inside lane there, and then was not... If you're going to do that, at least keep him in front of the sticks. You know what I mean? And let me just talk to that real quick. Let's put this to bed. The objection over whether or not that was a first down Doesn't matter. is a moot point because a QB sneak from Aaron Rodgers would have picked up the first down because it would have been a matter of inches. So we can squibble over the spot of the ball. And they're going to go for it because they're way on the, our side of the field already. Absolutely. So we can squibble over the spot of the ball. But the fact of the matter is that... Lano Hill either gave up the first down or functionally gave up the first down in a position where we couldn't afford it. And I have to eat a little crow here because I said the role that I could see him functionally serving in is basically a weak side linebacker in a big nickel situation. And that's exactly the role we asked him to do on that play. And he failed in the biggest level. Uh, Lano Hill's a guy that I've wanted to carve out a place for on this defense um, I've been excusing him as being misused as a high safety. And I think I've come all the way around to, I don't see him having a place on this roster coming next season. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if, uh, I mean, he, he's cheap to bring back. I would be surprised if he was more than safety depth at this point though. Like that there, his role as a potential rotation player, his window has pretty much closed in my opinion. And I feel like there's enough defensive back talent coming that I feel like there's a lot of mid round picks that could just take his spot. Right. And that I think that the Seahawks probably would rather develop a project than spend a roster spot on either one of Delano Hill or Tedrick Thompson. One of those guys is probably going to get the ax. And Tedrick has a lot more versatility in the scheme. Uh, the Tedrick's high highs, and lows have been higher and not as low. Yeah. All right. So let's get into just the, I think that that pretty much puts a cap on it for me. Is there anything else you wanted to, to say? Uh, overall, overall, like a decent day from the secondary, but nothing special. The uh, pass rush, when they got there, it was pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool to see the Griffin and Griffin sack. Like, that's neat. Um, Trey Flowers allowed a perfect passer rating on passes that targeted him. How do you yeah. feel about that? Not great. <laughs> I mean, uh, I didn't want to talk about it anymore because it just makes me mad. Not, not exactly. Thing too is, Flowers had a really bad day, and he was put on Adams a lot, and he was exposed. The, by but him. the the missed tackle where he didn't, he just that was let, just a play that he can't make. Like, like go ahead and make your guy, point. Force that guy to the outside, man. Just because what position did Flowers used to play? He used you to play this safe, earlier. He used to play a safety. He knows better. Yeah, he knows that you can't just let a guy like he just Adams just ate his lunch right Instead, there. Instead, he squares him up. Like, it's a one-on-one tackling drill, and you're sitting there going, Trace uh, Flowers, I don't know if you know this, but lateral mobility is not your strong suit. Also, like, use the, the use the sideline as an extra defender. Force him to be like, I'm going, you got to go that way. Yeah, he should have just gotten in his hip and ridden him out of bounds. As soon as Adam saw the cushion that he had, he was like, oh, okay, we can do this all day. Yeah, I'll, I'll outrun you in a foot race. Here, <laughs> check this out. 
And I hate it because between that and the grass, and there's another and there's another safety over top too that could help if you if you really screw that up if you try to force him to the outside and you really mess it up there's another guy coming because this will, will give you so much more time him to slow down as he goes to the sideline to deal with you instead he got to functionally juke you and the other safety at the same time right because it the, was not good you gave him all of that open space to work with it's it's a it's a I don't know I I don't want to talk that was about. a frustrating play and I feel like. This has been a year with quite a few frustrating plays from Flowers. As much as I feel like he's grown, I feel like we're getting a pretty firm grasp of the holes in his game. And it makes me question um, whether he can be our number two corner going forward. On the year, he was targeted 94 times, gave up 62 receptions for 808 yards and four touchdowns. He Passes targeting him had a 93.8 rating. Uh, Yeah, it's just... That makes him a slightly below average corner. I would say worse worse than that. Um, yeah, I don't like somewhere in the D plus C minus range. I mean, he's not like you know Josh Norman this year bad, who had like a horrible season. You know, he's not like one of those guys, but he's he's slightly below average. You know, however you, however you felt about Jamar Taylor, what he was doing, um, I don't think you should feel a lot better about about what Trey was doing at the end of the season. How about that? You like? Yeah, and he definitely seemed to be sliding as the season went on. Um, yeah, I thought this was just a yeah. It's 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 tough because Devonte Adams. We tried a bunch of different looks for him, and it didn't matter. He burned all of them. So I can't like I don't want to put the blame solely on Trey, like other people seem to want to do. So as we get ready it's, to have the off season discussion, which is where this is about to go. So something that's been really interesting. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Connolly. Uh, who now works for ESPN, used to be at SB Nation, uh, did a lot of work with advanced statistics in college. And there's a lot to back up, both anecdotal, talking to coaches and everything, but also statistically to back up that a unit getting snaps together, the consistency of the unit benefits two position groups more than any other. And that's offensive line, and defensive backfield. Yeah, that's kind of why I want to keep like four of our five defensive line the same. Like I would like to keep, you know, Britt or Posich, Phil our Hain- offensive lineman, yeah, Phil Haynes, uh, you know, Dwayne Brown, uh, Fluker, and then get a new right tackle. Just make only make like one guy's a completely new guy, but then all the other four guys I want to keep mostly the same. Those guys are fine. And then if in the preseason we draft a dude who like if we can pick up a dude who beats or, out or Jamarco, Luker, that's fine. Or Jamarco has or a Jamarco great preseason. Can, whatever. Yeah. yeah, but I I would really like to be able to go like from preseason game two on. We're probably like that's our that's our dudes. Okay, we got a million Twitter questions this week, and I just want you guys to know that um, we're gonna like hit them over the next couple weeks. Yeah, Mario Hawk, JRB, Trevor, John, all you guys asking about um uh, Dustin, like roster there's, moves. there's so many people yeah, paul uh, uh everyone asking about draft things like that's what things are gonna be about but we also don't want to do all this without eric i also just kind of want to talk like just about the guys we have still and then the, maybe some rfa decisions so, so kevin steph this is your question kevin here we go these guys are these are the wide receivers on our roster right now tyler lockett dk metcalf we have 41 active players for next year so we got lockett metcalf and ursua uh, and then you can you can RFA tender Turner or more. So would you would you RFA tender uh, either of those guys? I'd be tempted to RFA tender more, just because I, think, I feel like he's shown more. I just think you pick which one ever one of those two guys you like better. Yep. Um, you don't have to have both. They they, they kind of functionally perform the same. Yeah, they're kind of the same role. dude. Uh, they're both spe- 
plus special teamers who have uh, some ability to get loose on deep routes. Uh, but inconsistent and not able to beat yeah. plus coverage. Yeah, exactly. They they're not they're never gonna blow the doors off anyone. Okay. They will absolutely kill someone if they're starting like a D minus cornerback though. Tight end Dixon, Disley, and Justin Johnson. Di- we can cut Ed Dixon and save three million dollars in cap. Although we have sixty eight million dollars in cap room, so I'm not sure that that's completely necessary. I think it depends fully on health. You can if right. Dixon's healthy, I'd want to keep him because he's probably the best one of the best blocking tight ends that'll be on the market. Yeah, I think and it's a, we'd just be trying to sign his replacement. It's a good fit if he's fully healthy. I think it's a good fit. It's but like if he's still wise. dragging a limb and it doesn't yeah. seem like he's ever going to be healthy again, then save the three mil and go get like Levi Toilet or something. Uh, Tyrone Swoops and Hollister are both restricted free agents. I uh, would. I want Hollister back, and would, I, I don't you, need Swoops back. You have to do Hollister. He he really showed something as a you know H bag pre motion. And one thing I think the Seahawks need to start doing more next year is a lot more pre snap motion. I think that's like the next level of our offense. The way our offense can level up again, um, and Hollister's a guy you can do that through. You yep. can run, you can run through that run some pre snap motion through Hollister. Well, because he good. can be split out into the slot. He can be in line. He can be. Um, strong side offset from the other tight end. He can be in the backfield. So you can start him off anywhere, and it's a logical place for him to be standing, which means motioning him anywhere is a great way to go. All right, we're looking at man or zone. Are we looking at, you know, the, it, it really allows Russ to do more in the pre-snap read. The only tackle currently, I mean, unless you count Jamarco, which I don't anymore. I think he's pretty much so solidified himself as a guard. The only tackle currently under contract for the Seattle Seahawks for next season is Dwayne Brown. Well, that's the most important one. Yeah, and, that, and they can RFA Jordan Simmons. Um, I, I don't need to do that. Yeah, I think that that's, you can go ahead and not do that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there's about 100 Jordan Simmons out there. So, I mean, if we get that Jordan Simmons or a different Jordan Simmons, either way, we got a Jordan Simmons. Uh, guards, Fluker, Posich, Haynes, and Knox. Feel pretty good about that. Um, you can RFA Jordan Roos, which um, I'll just say the same joke that I said in the group chat. If Jordan Roos played as good as he dressed, that would be a good idea. I would but, say uh, that we have Jordan Roos under contract in the form of Knox, yeah. because that's the floor of Knox. A total total project that maybe could be good someday. Uh, all right, center. Britt's under contract next year. You can cut him and save almost uh, $9 million, $8.5 million. Um, Which we're paying him eleven. Yeah. You're, you'll pay him eleven point four. So we're paying him like a top five center. I don't think this is the kind of... Here's my thing about this one. I don't think this is the kind of decision you make right away. Um, I know that sucks for Justin Britt because the longer he waits, the harder it is for him to find a job. But the thing is, is that if the free agency doesn't shape up the way you like... Justin Britt is a fine player. He's not like he's not definitely not worth five percent of your salary cap. But we have eleven billion dollars. But we have six, somewhere better to right. spend it. We have sixty-eight million dollars, and you don't want to be the Jets where you just start overpaying dudes because you have money and you just feel like you need to spend it. I know that Russell Wilson doesn't have an infinite window, but Justin Britt is a player who is reliably solid. He can come back and play center. We can put Posich back at guard or let him compete for guard position or just let Posich back up all three middle line, middle interior offensive line positions because Britt and Fluker have shown time and time again to be a little bit fragile. So that, that provides us some flexibility. I don't think you just, you don't make a decision on Britt the first day. This is not something that's going to come lightly. Uh, it is a lot to pay Britt. Um, Britt should not make almost as much money as Bobby Wagner. I agree with that. Yeah, that, that, seems, sh- that seems bad. He shouldn't make almost as much as Dwayne Brown. Like, those are just, this is not a thing. But it's the last year of his contract, and if we can't find something better to do with the money, you don't just cut him for nothing. 
You don't just cut him and say, hey, we want that cap room. That's a lot of cap room, unless you have a plan for it. Yeah, we should be cutting him because we got this dude, whoever it is, and like maybe we make a signing on a swing tackle or somebody else, or maybe there's a guard. Um, and we'll, we'll be talking about actual free agent names right. in the in the next coming weeks. But if we have a plan in place, then I agree. I think that's when you move on. All right. Ballor is under contract. Uh, they can cut him and save all the money. So Sounds good. So here's the thing for me. He's I fine. actually have watched enough offenses in the NFL this year that use a fullback really well to think that you can have a good fullback, but that fullback needs to be a pass-catching threat. Yeah, that fullback um, needs to be not Nick Bloor. Uh San Francisco is a good example of this. They run outside runs out of two running back formations all the time, and they're some of the highest efficiency plays in the NFL. They do a really good job with it, but that's because if Kyle, they have to, the linebacker has to account for Kyle Uzcheck no matter what. Because if he runs a route and you just ignore him, then you're dead. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> he's going to go 48 yards down the field. Like, yeah, he's like not congratulations, just, it's the 35 yard wheel route every time. Yeah. So th- there's a difference, I think, between. Uh, Balor in that, and yeah, so I wouldn't mind us actually using a chunk of cap space to sign a top level fullback if one is available in free agency, or uh, or spending a mid round pick on one because they still never go high, right? Or yeah, if you they, can get like one of the top guys in like the fifth, right? That's a, that's a talent identification thing though, um, for sure. Use use check has a team option for five point two million that I'm like a hundred percent sure they'll pick up. I would assume, unless they just re-sign him to a like extension. So that means that no, no one. There's basically no other fullbacks that are uh, really worth talking about. I mean, unless you really like CJ Ham, which I think CJ Ham is really good. The Vikings fullback, they used him a lot. I think he's pretty decent. That's another team that uses a lot of uh, two running back formations. Which Pete's either going to start using. We're going to start using two tight end or two running back formations a lot next year. It's gonna, I agree. it's one or the other. I'd I'd prefer tight end, but. This, I think well, that it depends on the talent that we ha- acquire. I think Schottenheimer prefers tight end too. If you look at his career arc, he tends to prefer a multi tight end set to a fullback set. And with Russ doing a lot of his work at a shotgun, that matches. Okay. Uh, Russell, a quarterback. Russell Wilson's under contract. We have no backup under contract right now. But let's be honest if Russell Wilson gets hurt, we are wholly and fully uh, screwed. screwed. <laughs> trying not to swear <laughs> and for so, juggles uh the, the game the game is the jig is up all right safeties safeties for next year we've got brad under contract 5.4 million one which point, is still nothing 1.3 in dead cap if we cut him i think at worst case scenario brad provides quality depth at the position at both safety um, positions, both safety that's, positions. The that's the worst case scenario i don't mind him starting although i do think that the he's much the, better box that's been shown this year the tread that yeah he needs he gets to play in the box. Uh, Quandre will be back next year. Five point two more years. Five point one six million dollars. He ha- we can cut him at any point because Detroit's now paying his bonuses. And yes, next year he'll be here for five point five. So we got Quandre Diggs. He's in the bank. Marquise Blair. And again, that's a guy who's like you're looking at a what minimum C plus play. Yep. Marquise Blair is back. Uh, Delano Hill is back, and Tedrick Thompson is back. I don't know if Delano Hill's back. And right, Delano Hill's on contract. All of uh, Hill and Thompson can both be cut and save most of the money, but they're cheap contracts. So it's one of those things. If they bring in another safety, they'll let him compete for those that last spot, and we'll keep four or five safeties most likely. Yeah, uh, um, five is if we end up doing a lot of big nickel package, which we showed we're willing to do with the flexibility between Blair Diggs and. Uh, Brad, because the thing about Diggs and Brad is that both of them can play both safety spots. Like uh, that brings some value. Cornerbacks, we got Griffin, Amadi, and Flowers. 
Those are the only ones that are under contract for next year. They make a grand total all together of less than two and a half million dollars, which is even if you don't think all those guys are great, that is insanely cheap. Griffin might have to be re-signed, but I still don't think he's going to demand a huge contract for that level of play that they've put forward right there. That is an incredible value Yep, for the team. Only a restricted free agent is Boykins. I think that they'll just uh, let him walk. But the that does put cornerback squarely in the same. You can re-sign King, bring him in. He brings quality depth to all of the positions and knows the system really well. You could draft a guy can, and run him up against Flowers, and, and then see you what dra- happens. Then you draft a guy for that fifth spot or just to, to push Flowers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, could, could end up bringing back Easy because he's such a plus special teams guy. Right. If we end up picking up a guy who I get scared with Thorpe now because of the just the amount of injuries he's had and the other thing is if we pick up a young guy to play corner like if we draft somebody or something or if we draft a safety, that's a guy who you know, he could be like another Amadi comes in and Nico maybe Thorpe it's is like my, easy to become a special teams coach. Nico Thorpe is like my favorite like under the radar Seahawk that not enough people talk about. He's so great. His personality is amazing. He's so funny and all their like you know, branded content they put on YouTube. So I, I hope they bring him back just for the, just for my just personal for enjoyment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, Tyler Alt will be back at long snapper. I forgot that one when we were talking about offense and Jason Myers will be back at kicker, of course. And, uh, of and course, pun hub. Yeah. Michael Dixon will be back at punter. Okay. Uh, who had a really strong second half of the year after being called out linebackers. Uh, KJ's back. Cody's back. Ben Burkirvin's back. Uh, Bobby's back. I mean, the, Shady's back. The guy who's gone is is uh, Michael Kendricks, Michael Kendricks. And I, that might be a net plus, yeah. just because his plus attribute is pass rusher. Barton. And I feel so much better putting Barton in there on coverage snaps and Quim Griffin in there on pass rush snaps from right. that strong side linebacker spot. Quim Griffin is back as a situational pass rusher. He's listed as a defensive end slash OLB on my spreadsheet. That, that's the right position. And I think that's what you, everyone should be doing. Other defensive ends that are back next year is just LJ Collier and Rasheem Green. That's it. Then, so that's a big hole. If, if you have he, not identified that as a need, even before that information, then you need to listen to our podcast. Bare minimum, running. they're gonna bring they're gonna bring at like least two, two or three guys in. Yeah, uh, I would say the biggest guy I want to get back is uh, if Quentin Jefferson is affordable, um, but people are saying that he could get over five million dollars a year, which I just that's a bridge I'm not ready to. I would say to five cross. mil is the ceiling for me. Uh, yeah, that's, like it's he's really good and he can play multiple positions. He's the kind of guy that if you if you're a team with a cheap quarterback, you bring in Quentin Jefferson to be like uh, your rotation guy that rests everyone along the line, and yep. he's perfect. We don't have a cheap quarterback anymore. If we could get him for like two two years, it's gonna be on the it's gonna be on the Bears next year or something. Because he's a perfect player for a team like that. Yeah, because has... he can play like uh, especially because he can play both end spots on a three four, yeah, or he can play three tech and base on a four three right he so can, he's got scheme flexibility he can just play in any position and, you, and you, you can rest all your guys you know you can get all your guys some 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 blow on the sidelines all the right positive note is i think we can all agree that we've just kind of started to scratch the surface on what Rashim green can be he's a guy he's only he's 22 he'll be 23 in may yeah. he's a guy who clearly has more in him and i would expect his curve to continue to go yeah. up Rasheem Green's future might be Quentin Jefferson that seems I feel like, like a, his next year might be Quentin Jefferson right, and, then and his future might if, be much better if that's if that's where he's going to being Quentin Jefferson that is very good and that is someone that we're going to need next year uh, defensive tackle not a lot on the roster either Jones Ford Monet and Christmas and 
Um, one of those guys, Naz Jones, basically doesn't exist. So I, I've, and the other guy, Christmas, also kind of doesn't exist. Well, at least Christmas it was, was the like classic a classic Pete Carroll redshirt season. Right? They, they drafted him. They said, "Oh, he's too hurt." IR. It's that fake IR. I'm not 100 percent sure. Demarcus Christmas from his college tape is a uh, he's a run stuffer. He will never play outside of first and second down, barring something. Correct. He'd be an upgrade on Monet. Yeah, and so that's kind of his future as the team. He plays on first down, tries uh, to stuff the run, fills up space. Woods is a guy that maybe we could bring back on a team-friendly deal if he's out there. But there's there's a league full of Woods. But this is the this is the position group that I think the defensive line in general needs the most uh, investment. We're gonna put yeah, we like free agents. We're gonna we need to draft guys. This is the area of the team that I think has the highest level of turnover this offseason. If you know that we have diff- the high premium free agents, Jaron Reed, Jadavian Clowney, some number of those guys might may or may not come back. I would suspect Clowney not coming back. That's my my hunch right now. But you can but never. But Pete said you can never be sure. I mean, he's twenty six. We lo- they love the guy, um, and he loves it here. Yeah. So you never know. But twenty million dollars for one player. You. This is one thing is the Seahawks don't want to be the Rams. And you can look at what the Rams did. They've put all their salary cap into four dudes. And it looks like they're destined to be some nine and seven bullshit yeah, for a long gonna, time. They're gonna, and it's not working out super good. Uh, Jadavian Clown, signing Jadavian Clowney is a step in that direction and that I'm not sure the Seahawks want to take. You know, I could see us instead going the route of signing two moderate guys like an Everson Griffin. Another thing about signing a guy like Everson Griffin that's likely to get cut by the Vikings in the coming weeks is that it doesn't count towards your compensatory calculation. And that's a big thing this year because we definitely need to sign dudes. Like our our cap figure says we need to. But we've also got a f- several people who could be high compensatory picks. And losing out on those compensatory picks is something that the front office doesn't want. Oh, and I forgot one position group running back where everyone's back except for ProSize. So that's exactly what you would expect. <laughs> I would strongly suspect that we're going to end up bringing in a guy to compete for a fourth running back spot. Sure. We like um, we seem to like to carry four running backs as long as they can contribute on special teams. We already know Homer can contribute on special teams. And I wouldn't be surprised to see if Carson and Penny are back, Penny start to bring those kickoffs back and contribute on special teams as well. Agreed. Because um, that could also help he was keep Lockett healthier. He was a special talent at that in college. And I'm, I've been kind of surprised that they haven't really tried it at, that much in the pros. And when he's done it, it's been kind of a mixed bag. But I feel like that's generally true about our return game anyway. That's generally true about Penny. And he he, he hasn't... Given, he hasn't given enough opportunities for us to really judge him, in my opinion, as really good or really bad. I still think he has a ton of promise and looks really good, but other people feel differently. We're ready to cut him in like week five and six? I'm not. I'm not there. Uh, yeah. I wasn't there in week five or six, and hey, I feel like we were vindicated about, in that take. Let me, make a, let me make a call right now. I would, and Barring catastrophic injury, Rashad Penny's fifth-year option is 100% getting picked up. How about that? That's, uh, a, that's a good take. Just make that call right now. Okay. Uh, that's, you mean you like running backs that avoid tackles and get extra yards? Yeah, I'm good. a pretty big fan of that too. He's really good in space. Uh, that's it. That's that. That's the uh, that's the the kind of the shape of the roster as we head into the off season. So an oval. Uh, we have well, 41 players. Just to give you a frame of reference, the number of players who are on the Seahawks roster. You know, there's 52 men on the active roster plus we have 15 practice guys. So we're a long ways away from the final roster. We have a ton of draft picks that'll fill up a big chunk of the roster. 
and knowing us, we'll probably end up getting even more draft picks on draft day somehow. We somehow are, we're going to end up with three second round picks. You know that? Yeah. That's going to be, actually, no, we're going to end up with two because we'll trade one of the second round picks into the third. I actually have and then hope we'll end up that, with a bunch more fourth round picks. I actually have hope <laughs> that we'll pick in the first round this time. Uh, it could happen. We're Here's late my- enough in the first round, though, where you can pick up a lot of value because somebody will want to hop up and get the fifth year option on a guy. Like, if there's one of those quarterbacks lingering at the back end, there's just a that's bunch where you get a lot of value. There's a bunch of guys, and we've shown our willingness to, to trade up to get the right guy. There's a bunch of guys in the middle of the first round that are very appealing to me. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like fit as a Seahawk, a guy like Grant Delpit, or like, you know, there's just guys that are getting picked around 16, 17 that couple I think. Offensive tackles, couple right. of the. Uh, it's a great offensive tackle draft. There's some good DBs. There's some. Uh, and the wide receiver talent is undeniable in if, this draft period. If, if the Seahawks decide there's a guy that they love that's getting picked in that range, that's going to go in that range, don't be surprised if this is the year they buck the trend, they do the opposite of what you expect, and they come back up, they come up a little bit to get to get one of those guys. Because they, they will trade up. They trade up for Tyler Lockett. They trade it up for Michael Dixon. You know, do you they, want they, my dumb prediction? They'll trade up for guys. Uh, my prediction is that we trade out of the first round and then back Only into the to first round. Only to trade back into the first round. <laughs> I could totally see it. <laughs> if one of those ta- really good tackles is just falling for no reason. Yeah, like we end up picking up like the 31st pick or something like that. Yeah. We just go, we go out and back in and pick up one of the last picks in the first round to get like a dude who we clearly think is dropping, who everyone thinks is a mid-second round pick, but ends up being good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, there, this is a, it's money zone time, I think. Would you agree? I would agree. All right, here we go. Pay, uh, there's many ways to help the Seahawks Nest podcast, but the best way to do so is to head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. We put bonus episodes up there. The group chat is now, they can, Patreon lets me pin a post now. So it's now pinned to the top. You can find the link to the group chat. Patreon's officially um, caught up to every other service. Uh, thank you to all the people who are helping us out. Uh, James, Lucas, Carrie, Tom, Nick, Frank, Bob, Richard, Kieran, Mike, Brett, Phloctimus, Keith, Michelle, Brian, all of them. There's so many patrons. You guys are really killing it. Um, it's, it's been a great season. It's been fun in the group chat lately too. Uh, I'm not yes. going to lie. I've been, po- we've been posting like, I've been like, me and Kevin are, you're going to see this a lot late. It happened a couple times already where me and Kevin start posting YouTube videos to, to each other of guys and then saying like, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? Yeah. If you want to join uh, our miniature scouting community yeah. and if there's a dude that you're interested in our film breakdown of, by yeah. all means, I'll watch a YouTube video. If you put it in there, I will watch it and tell you what I think of this guy. If you post it, we will watch. Yeah. If you, it, it, but please don't just post all the UW guys. I can tell you my opinions <laughs> on them already. You can just tell me the name and I'll tell you what I think of them. Cause I watched, I watched like, that's one thing is with the local thing, like people will be like, well, what about this Oregon guy? It's like, I've watched Oregon play a lot this year. <laughs> I have, I have formed opinions on a lot of their guys already. Uh, yeah, but it's fun. It's fun. I like scouting college football. It's been more fun than I expected when I started, when we started this, like what, four years ago, five years ago, I had no interest in college football at all. And now I probably watch almost as much college football as pro football, which is pretty insane. I, uh, uh, I, I like the effect yeah. that I've had on you. Yeah, you, you, uh, <laughs> I've been, the scouting thing has influenced me a lot. It's fun to watch. It's fun to break down tape. It's fun to, when you have someone that you can, uh, bounce the opinions off of, that's, uh, that's what is really rewarding. Another there. thing I have, if you want to become like an amateur scout, like, like we have done is watch, uh, videos of, uh, ex coaches, coaches, quarterbacks, things like that. Watch videos of them breaking down tape 
because that will clue you in on what you should be looking for when you're watching too. Because there's some things I never understood when people would talk about it. They'd say, you know, a guy has elite bend or a guy has um, does this or does that. And then I'd watch like a Belichick breakdown on the Patriots website and he'd talk about the same thing and I would it would click, you know, like, oh, that's what they mean. Plus and they it, have tremendously stupid scouting terms. Like, it's got a lot of sand. Oh that God. one's got a lot. It's got a good anchor. I hate when people Great talk bubble talk about ankles. There's so much <laughs> people when with big, bigger bigger uh, NFL players. They always talk about ankle flexibility. But I love when they call mobility. someone a, a dancing bear. That's one of my it's favorite a, terms. It's like, it's like he has good ankle flexibility. He has great ankle mobility. It's like ankle mobility. Have you ever? talked about ankle mobility in your life outside uh, apparently of this these dudes talk about ankle mobility all day every day yeah um, what's, they're what's, all about that ankle mobility i mean everyone knows that three cone meme that kind of followed dk around that's that, that that's just a classic scouting thing like just to talk about like one drill like that and quentin tarantino would have made a i'll be honest scout he's i fall for that trap and he's all about feet and ankles <laughs> i fall for that trap every once in a while like I, I saw that video of josh allen at the senior bowl doing the short accuracy drills and he's just like missing by a mile and i'm like this guy can't play quarterback in the nfl <laughs> because because he's missing he, then they showed baker mayfield do the same drill and hit every throw and i'm like well one of these guys is in the playoffs this year and it's not baker mayfield just it just shows that you never you never can totally know and one thing is those the jury's still out on the, both of those guys maybe the bills are just a you know they're a nine win team forever or a 10 win team forever and maybe baker's gonna go on a run you never know well it takes three four five years for someone to really settle in their career unless you get one of those fluky guys who's just ready right away. Yeah, Lamar. Unless you get Lamar or Patrick Mahomes or something. You know what I mean? There's Or Russell Wilson. There's certain guy. Yeah, Russell Wilson, second year, wins the Super Bowl. All right, movie zone. We decided this week we would base our movie zone on the Oscar nominations. So we're going to do... We I told so Kevin, really salty. we have to do whatever movie gets the most Oscar nominations. And Kevin's like, yes, we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or The Irishman or Parasite. And he was wrong. We're talking about Joker. Because someone thinks Todd Phillips makes good movies. I just and it's can't. nobody in okay. this room. Before before we start, I cannot believe. Well, before we start, oops. I cannot believe that jo- that Joker got a directing nomination. I, I There's a million things I want to rag on this movie for because. So really I, quickly. I think it's a very average. If he wins, does he have to split it with Scorsese since Scorsese did all the scenes that were good? If I, if I, uh, if I. If I'm being honest, there are good aspects of this movie. They're um, Joaquin Phoenix the and score, the score. The score is really good. And the color palette's good. The, cool. But the color palette wasn't his either. I mean, I don't know. Because he kind of used Joker colors. <laughs> <laughs> so, is so, that why it's an adapted screenplay? Because he adapted the color palette? No, he adapted the character <laughs> Joker. Uh, okay. This movie. Sorry. Are we giving away our opinion on the movie too soon? Um, I, I no. apologize. <laughs> This movie follows a a person in as they descend into uh, follows a man in society. A man in society as he descends into madness. Um, there are so many things that I think are right about this movie, and so many things I think are wrong about this movie. And if uh, you haven't seen it yet, uh, just turn the podcast off because I'm going to spoil the shit out of it right here. Uh, this is a movie that desperately acts like it has a point of view, like it's trying to say something about. Uh, angry men in society or something like that. And it, it, but it's, it isn't actually saying anything. It's like the guy who tells you that they hate talking about politics, but won't shut up about politics. Uh, it's, it's, it's like when you start talking to a 15 year old about a political issue and realize that they only have the headlines and never read the article. Yeah. It's, it's really hard for me to talk 
too much about this movie because there's okay because there's a lot of emptiness in it yeah it's just it's kind of a collection of things that happened it's uh which is really that's how their movie was written um here's uh here's a loose batman uh arc that happened in the comic books here's an actual subway incident from the 80s here's Scenes from Taxi Driver. And I do think the Here's cinematography... from King of Comedy. I do think the cinematography is good. They squared up the shots really well. Sure, but they I were mean, all Scorsese shots. There's a reason that that stair scene is going to be iconic forever, because... And the bathroom scene? It's, it's really squared up nicely. It looks really good. It has a great, like, splashy color thing going on, and it, I... I don't know. It's, uh... I think that... And I think the idea of, like, hey, we're gonna kind of homage Taxi Driver and King of Comedy... But with the Joker is not a terrible idea. I just don't understand why it's an Oscar, Oscar movie. It's it's a movie that I feel is very average. I don't think it's bad. It's nothing wrong with this movie. Like I'm not. It's gonna what give, happens when you take this idea and then put Todd Phillips in charge of it. It's it's I I think I'm I gave it a three and yeah three is fine. I think I gave it too much credit walking out of the theater. Um, I wanted to like it more. I wanted to have a lot to reflect on, and so. I was having conversations about it, and my initial review, I was like three and a half, four. And the more I tried to dig into those things, like the unreliable narrator, um, Joker is uh, lying to the camera and himself for large portions of the movie. And the way that plays out with Zazie Beats is really interesting. Um, except the more you think about it, the less enjoyable it was. Which is the opposite of what happens with a good movie. Like a good movie, you'll be sitting there, you'll be thinking about it, you'll be chewing on it, and it gives you a lot of good questions and some interesting answers to those questions. And it builds on itself really well. Does it does it bother you too how much everything is just set dressing to this to Joaquin Phoenix too? Like like what happens to Zazie Beats in this movie? I don't think Todd Phillips cares. So like you know what I mean? Like Well, we know what happened to De Niro. Yeah, but like there's there's so many like <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah, just... literally uh, everything. Um, the the mom character was not really there. Uh, the entire Wayne's family story arc was like didn't work. It was uh, it was very half hearted. It was very awkwardly filmed, and I don't mean awkward as in he's an awkward character, and so it was awkward their interactions. I mean it took up a weird space in the story that didn't really follow the context of everything else they're like oh by the way we need to have a rich villain but why was he a villain you want me to can i steal some good jokes from letterbox now that, that about this movie my favorite segment okay here we go uh man goes to doctor says he's depressed says life seems harsh and cruel says he feels all alone in a threatening world where what lies ahead is vague and uncertain doctor says treatment is simple great town ta- great clown pagliacci is in town tonight go and see him that should pick you up man burst into tears says but doctor, we live in a society. One and a half stars. <laughs> um, so, real quick before you do, that's the other thing is, okay, so a movie that has seen movies I'd rather be watching. Two stars. <laughs> I mean, it's it really sums up kind of how I feel about this movie when people say stuff like this, though, and I hate that because I don't think it's as bad as these people do. I'd give it a better score. Because I there because are it was as- entertaining to watch, and there was aspects of the movie that I think were really well done. But, but what bothers me is I feel like I'm forced to trash the movie because people want to sit there and hold it up against movies like Parasite, 
Um, the, well, that's the thing. Ask is th- interesting questions and give interesting answers and provoke interesting thoughts. And this one just asks questions. One thing, too, is that this movie is now the flag bearer for superhero movies because it got the most Oscar nominations. It's very likely to win a lot of high-profile awards. Despite I, the fact that it, Logan did it earlier and better. Even though, like, I think it's going to win score even... And I think it's gonna it's, it's gonna win. It's, it's got a chance to win cinematography. Although, it does. although I think uh, that 1917 is gonna win. Uh, but that's kind of the hope right now is that some of those other movies show up big. Uh, it's got a really strong chance at uh, lead actor. Um, Joaquin Phoenix does put in. I, the way I said it was, uh, Joaquin Phoenix has a six star performance in a two star movie, which makes for a three star situation. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. If you think that you would like Joker, you're probably right. How about that? But I would say, okay, how's that? How's that for better. a review? That's fine. That's that. That's pretty accurate. I uh, I think it's kind of like what happened with Bohemian Rhapsody last year, uh, which was a movie that was fine. Like it was fine. It was fun sometimes. Um, Rami Malek is neat. He's a good actor. Uh, but when it was sitting there in the Best Picture discussion. You're just looking at it going, this is so much less than or how about this? the movies you're comparing it to. This is like a fight club, but if at the end of the movie, instead of Tyler Durden dying, Tyler Durden was the was, was the one that won, and, and the other guy's gone. That's a very <laughs> accurate description of it. That's, that's like, that's, I kind of feel like the, 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 the soul of Joker. And if you're the kind of person who's way too into fight club, then you'll probably love this movie. Uh, all right. I, I, uh, now that we've alienated our high school audience. Or our edgelord audience. I don't know. Or probably both. I don't really have any other strong opinions on this movie. That's probably the biggest thing I have to say about this movie is it doesn't trigger strong opinions. <laughs> Despite tackling strong subject matter. Joaquin Phoenix has a, does a great job. The score is good. Uh, it's worse than Logan. Like... If I'm for my for my serious comic book money, movie money, give me Logan, ten out of ten times over this, and I'd rather watch like Black Panther a hundred times than watch Joker two more. That's that's, that's kind the of other how thing I feel is I feel it. like Joker has a lot of empty real estate. Or there I'm, was a potential to do a lot more with it, and I think that what we're seeing is the gulf between Joaquin Phoenix's creativity with a character he's given and Todd Phillips' creativity with a world that he's given. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix explores the space of the Joker in an interesting way, and then Todd Phillips is a guy who gets given money to make movies. Yeah, I think if if Joaquin Phoenix played Wolverine and Logan and like put the effort into it that he puts into this, it probably would have been uh, just as award-winning as this. It's really just the performance. I think people got sucked into the joaquin phoenix performance and rightfully so it's really good you want a funny fact about this movie yep when they can't they campaigned for makeup at the oscars at the you know the um what do they call it there's like a nickname they have for it anyway they're they're talking about you know how they did it and their big thing was it was almost impossible for us to do makeup on joaquin phoenix because he was kept running away whenever we were trying to do it wouldn't let us do anything was being really annoying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like their whole campaign was based around how hard it was to work with Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. That's that's certainly um, a choice they made. <laughs> but they, they, they got the nomination instead of Dolomite or whatever else you thought should have been in there. That's the movie I would have picked uh, for hair and makeup. But all right. 
that's it. Anything? Any final words, Kevin? Uh, no, I'm just a uh, podcaster in society. All right for for Kevin Garber for Eric Ronenbeck's Ghost. Uh, we will see you next week for another episode. And uh, go Hawks. P.S. I love you, Beast Mode. <laughs>